There are two people that immediately come to my mind when I hear the words of that song. And that's Donnie and Susie Carnathan. They are a great, great blessing. They've been a great blessing to this church, to our leaders, to our staff. They've been a great blessing to this community. And uh, they will continue to be all of those things. A great description from one of our shepherds, Jay Bynum, earlier that uh, uh, Donnie's heart is as big as this room. We would go further and say as big as Texas. We would go further and say uh, as big as the borders of this country because that's exactly how we think of both of you. And we cannot thank you enough for the example and ministry and service that you have lived out the beauty of Jesus in front of us and everyone for all to see. We're better because of you. And people have been helped because of you. And we're very, very grateful. What a blessing. Donnie and Susie have worked on the front lines of what we're talking about today. And that is specifically in a more general sense than what we're speaking of specifically today. But in that sense of living in the world and not being of the world, to being engaged with the world day in and day out, as Donnie has been. And yet, rather than letting that world influence them to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in them and influence the world, first of all, by their faithful lives, and then secondly, by the opportunity to teach and to share in active, concrete ways, and to also share the Word of God as God makes that available. As Jay mentioned earlier, the question that we're asking with the sermon today is, does culture overrule Scripture? And before you answer too quickly, you know what the right answer is. I mean, you've got the preacher in front of you, and you're in church. I mean, come on, what's the answer? Of course, culture does not overrule Scripture. But today we speak of one of those areas where our world is not so sure and some of us, perhaps, are not so sure. Is there anything our culture has dishonored and made impure more than sexuality and marriage? Last week we talked about the sanctity of life, of human life, and we spoke to the subject of abortion and, and caring for people in all situations, in all ages, because God cares for them and life is sacred because it's sacred to God, so it's sacred to us. But today, I think, is um, an even greater uh, desire to dishonor what God has made pure, and that is sexuality and marriage. Our society, as, as advanced as it is, has taken something created by God something so beautiful and fulfilling and pure, and has turned it into something selfish and ugly, vulgar and obscene. It wasn't meant to be that way. It's something that God created to be beautiful, to be honored, and to be pure. This has happened to a great degree, I think, especially in recent years, because as a culture, many no longer believe in ultimate truth 
or that there is right and wrong that goes beyond my own happiness and pleasure, my own feelings and desires. And so as Davy led us in the song, Trust and Obey, that's not going to communicate to our society. Trust and obey what? Or trust and obey who? Because I'm, our society would say, I'm trusting and obeying the uh, authority that I'm living by, which is my truth and what I believe and what I want and how I feel. We understand that that's not the teaching of Scripture. I mentioned in our, one of our first sermons in this series, who is your God on the first commandment to have no other gods before me, a study and some terminology. The Oxford Dictionary named the word post-truth, their word of the year in 2016. Post-truth, we're beyond truth. According to their definition, post-truth is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And we see that in a great way when we bring up the subject of sexuality and marriage. It's less about what's right and wrong, what's true and not. It's less about what Scripture teaches, certainly. And it's more about what public opinion is, what the culture thinks. It's more about what I feel and what I believe and not what God feels and what God believes and what God has taught. A post-truth environment exists when people are directed by subjective feelings rather than objective facts. A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. And I think we're living in that day right now. Even though some would say there is no such thing as the truth or ultimate truth, we believe that that is not the case. Certainly not what Scripture teaches. And yet what they, they look to are all truths. You have your truth, I have my truth. And what they're really talking about are opinions and feelings, not truth. Because they have, have rejected truth in general, they have rejected the truth of God's inspired and authoritative word, the Bible. And yet this is what Scripture claims. It claims to be the inspired and authoritative word of God. And if we believe that to be the case, then it should matter what it says. And it should call us to live according to what it teaches. And so commandment number seven today is this one. Keep marriage honorable and pure. Keep marriage honorable and pure. We'll see a scripture passage in just a moment that says that it is and is to be kept that way. But Exodus 20, verse 14 simply says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And adultery is defined as sexual relations between two people who are not married to each other but are married to someone else. That's adultery. There are some more general terms such as sexual immorality or fornication that indicates sexual relations between two individuals who are not married and may not be married to anybody. And we'll talk some more about that in a moment. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? Is there a place for the Seventh Commandment today? This one. Is there a place for the condemnation of sexual immorality anywhere? 
in our culture today? Can sexuality and marriage be honorable and pure in today's world? Is that even possible? We believe that the answers to all of those questions is yes. There is a place for this commandment. Yes, there is a place for marriage and sexuality to be held honorable and kept pure. This Wednesday night in our uh, summer series, we're going to have several of our boys involved in the service, and so I hope you'll come and be a part of that, because we're trying to help develop tomorrow's leaders. They're part of the church today, but they're leaders of the church tomorrow, and it's those kinds of events that help us to be able to pass this teaching and this truth on to the coming generations. Last week, I mentioned a few things to our parents of our younger kids and our teens and our young adults, and that is talk to them. Talk to them. Listen to them, first of all, and and be ready to teach them. Find those teachable moments, as James Dobson said years ago. Find those opportunities to see something reported on TV or a media news story or something, a scene in a movie or a TV show or a song and ask, do you know people like that? Is that, is that how your friends feel? Not in a judgmental sort of way, but just in a conversational way. Talk to them, listen to them, and then provide some instruction for them from Scripture in a practical and loving way. Talk to others. Talk to God. A couple of events coming up that will help, and one is coming up in August on the 24th, Steve Holliday, who. Uh, teaches workshops on talking to kids about sexual matters uh, and subjects. That, uh, he's going to be here on August 24th in our Wednesday night series. And he's been here before and he's a wonderful speaker. And, and we'll speak to that subject starting with the story of Joseph, which is perfect. And we'll speak to that, to those issues. And our Reconnect Marriage workshop, which is coming up September 24th and 25th with Owen and Lauren Mitchell. Hope that you'll participate in these things. You know, there's a lot of confusion today over what the Bible teaches about sexual immorality. And Jay mentioned during his prayer that there are a lot of people that just don't know. That just don't know. And I I realize the world is always going to be the world, but I want to tell you today where my heart is. My heart is today that we don't know what the Bible teaches about sexual immorality. That's more my concern than what the people out there know and what they believe. Because it's got to start with us. And I fear as I see social media and television and radio and movies and culture and schools and churches. Civil leaders. All of that is forcing things on us that if we don't temper those things with this, then we forget that there is truth. We forget to examine those things that we're hearing and ask ourselves, well, is that really true? Is that what God's Word says? So as I share these things today, I'm sharing them from that perspective, 
that we can know what the Bible says about this because contrary to what we hear out there, the Bible speaks about sexual immorality. Jesus speaks about sexual immorality in spite of what we may hear. And so a few things. First of all, marriage and sex are gifts from God and are honorable and pure. They are gifts from God. It's not something that some guy thought up thousands of years ago and thought this would be cool. (laughs) It's not it at all. It came from God. The fact that we are male and female, that was God's idea, not ours. And the fact that there could be a special, intimate, physical relationship between a man and a woman as husband and wife, that was God's idea, God's vision. And we read about it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. First of all, in Genesis chapter 1, these familiar words starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, verse 26, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It wasn't very good until God had made mankind, male and female. That is what scripture teaches. In spite of the onslaught that we receive from Our culture today, that is what the Bible says. We are created male and female. In chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, we read this. Chapter 2 looks more focused at the creation of humanity. The Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then later on we find... For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So verse 21 of Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Why? Because marriage and sexuality are honorable and pure if we hold to the vision that God had for them and that God has for them still Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is a great gift and is exactly God's will. In Matthew 19, contrary to popular belief, Jesus would go back to this passage and talk about the sanctity of marriage. Basing your relationship with each other and your faith in God leads leads to more stable and happier marriages. More and more, that is becoming clearer, even in secular publications, surprisingly enough. A recent article, and by recent, I mean earlier this month. A recent article published by the Institute for Family Studies brings this out. W. Bradford Wilcox writes this. Based on new research Lyman Stone and I conducted for the Institute for Family Studies, religious men and women who married in their 20s without cohabiting first have the lowest odds of divorce in America today. 
Shared faith is linked to more sexual fidelity, greater commitment, and higher relationship quality. One Harvard study, Harvard study, found that women who regularly attended church were about 40% less likely to divorce. The family-friendly norms and networks found in America's churches, mosques, and synagogues make religion one of the few pillars of strong and stable marriages in America today. We suspect one advantage that religious singles in their 20s have over their secular peers is that they are more likely to have access to a pool of men and women who are ready to tie the knot and and share their vision of a family-focused life and are not simply interested in hooking up. You find that at church. Today, young singles like this are often difficult to find in the population at large. Many young adults today believe cohabitation is also a pillar of successful marriages. One reason why more than 70% of those who marry today live together before marriage. But the conventional wisdom here is wrong. Americans who cohabit before marriage are less likely to be happily married and more likely to break up. The psychologist Galena Rhodes writes, We generally think that having more experience is better in life, but what we find for relationships is just the opposite. Saving cohabitation for marriage and endowing your relationship with sacred significance seems to maximize your odds of being stably and happily married. And when you think about it, doesn't that make sense? It becomes more important, more sacred. What, by the way, is the real divorce rate today? Nope, it's not 50%. Nor has it ever been 50%. Where in the world did that come from? That came from a quick look at the number of marriages and the number of divorces in a given year. For example, if you have 10,000 marriages this year and 5,000 divorces, well, that means that the rate of of divorce must be 50%. But that's, that's wrong. It does not consider long-lasting marriages, marriages that have been around for years, decades, death of a spouse, other factors. The truth is, according to author and researcher Shanti Feldhahn and others, the divorce rate has been decreasing for decades, with only about 15 marriages in every 1,000 ending in divorce in 2019, and even less for those active in a church. Those numbers have actually gone down in the last two years, and we see Uh, You have some links on your outline to some of these articles. We hear this call for morality in a language that even secular Hollywood in New York City should understand. Money. (laughs) The top seven American films of all time, based on box office gross and adjusted for inflation as of this month, according to filmsite.org, are these. And I'll start with number seven. (laughs) Number seven is Jaws. The 1975 version. And Joyce and I remember lines lined up around the theater in San Antonio when that came out. Number six is the Ten Commandments. The 1956 version with Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brynner as Pharaoh. Number five is Titanic in 1997 with Kate and Leo. Number four is E.T., the extraterrestrial, in 1982. Number three is The Sound of Music from 1965, which I think should be number one, but that's another thing. Number two is Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope in 1977. The first Star Wars, the best Star Wars, and I'm an expert on Star Wars because I've seen that one and part of the second one. And the number one top 
selling, grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation is from 1939. And there were several good movies out. And if you're a movie buff, then you might know some of these that came out. It's not The Wizard of Oz. It's not Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Two great movies. The number one selling movie of all time. Anybody want to wager a guess? It is Gone with the Wind. These very successful movies are, to say the least, not known for their frequent bad language, their gratuitous sex, and their graphic violence. And yet they're the top-selling box office money makers of all time. Don't believe the myths. They are Satan's lies. God's way of keeping sexuality and marriage honorable and pure is better now and for eternity. Marriage and sex are gifts from God and are honorable and pure. Secondly, today, sexual relationships and fulfillment are to be confined to marriage between a husband and wife, a male and a female. This great passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is one that you may not be aware of, but it's one that I think speaks to it in such a succinct and wonderful way. Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And that term marriage bed is a, t- is a specific term that is describing the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And it says it is pure, and marriage is honorable, and we are to keep it that way. Because God will judge all of those who don't, in spite of what we may hear. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 19. In Matthew 5, he says we need to not even think about lusting in our hearts, as you know, also in Matthew 15. Other passages there as well. And I have a line of passages of Scripture that I just want to read you. Why are you doing this, Bill? Because I am concerned that we are forgetting this. That with the onslaught of our culture on this subject, we forget that the Bible speaks to this. That the Bible condemns sexual immorality. That it's not okay just because our culture thinks it's okay and says it's okay and tells us, Every day, every hour that it's okay. It's not. If we believe the Bible, it's not. Romans 1, verses 24 through 27 and verse 32. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. That's exactly what's going on today. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Another term for sexual immorality. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 8. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And finally, 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Somehow I feel like the Bible speaks to this issue and speaks to it very plainly. Third this morning, culture does not overrule Scripture. You wanted to answer that from the start, right? And you were correct. Culture does not overrule Scripture. Culture is a consideration. Emotion and personal belief can and should be considered and discussed. But to let culture or emotion and personal belief, subjective feelings, not necessarily based on truth, to let those things decide what is right and wrong, what is true and good, what is the truth, is to deny the Word of God and to put ourselves and our feelings and our desires on the throne that only God can occupy. The teaching of Scripture that transcends culture cannot be dismissed simply because it is unpopular in our current society. God's vision at creation, a male and female, created in God's own image, becoming husband and wife, is God's vision for sex and marriage still today. And it always will be. God's vision for marriage and sex was affirmed in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the New Testament letters, and yes, by our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who goes all the way back to Genesis and says, this is God's will. Adultery, sexual relations between two people when at least one of them is married to someone else, is a sin. Sexual relations between two unmarried people, what the Bible calls fornication or sexual immorality, is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Current culture calls them lesbians, gays, and bisexual. Scripture calls them homosexuals. 
And no matter how acceptable it is in society, no matter how unpopular our beliefs are or what consequences we pay for them, to believe the Bible is to believe that homosexuality is a sin. Same-sex attraction, however, is not a sin unless it is acted upon, either physically or mentally. It is a temptation and is no better or worse than any other, such as the temptation to lust or to commit adultery, to lie or to gossip. Pornography is a sin. It is not a victimless crime. It destroys marriages and lives and is strictly forbidden by Jesus in Matthew 5. The terms pornography, pornographic, etc., and other terms like them come from the biblical word pornia, which is translated as sexual immorality or fornication in most English versions. Only women, females, can get pregnant and have children. Men cannot get pregnant. I can't believe we have to affirm this publicly in 2022. But it is the truth. Only women, females, can get pregnant and have children. And by the way, she is not a, quote, birthing person. She is a woman and a mother. And do not dishonor her and call her something else. A person can change their anatomy through surgery and hormone therapy, but they cannot change their sex. They cannot change their gender. They are male and female. As God created them when he created them in his very image. While personalities, masculinity and femininity are quite varied. That's certainly true. There are still only two sexes. Male and female. I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delights. Things that are higher. Things that are nobler, these have allured my sights. We can, we must, treat those who disagree with the teaching of Scripture with respect and consideration, with humility and love. But we must not join them in their disregard for the truth, the Word of God. Instead, we must stand up. Stand up for Jesus. We must stand up. Stand up for His Word. So as we begin to close today, I want to make this emphatically clear. God forgives sin. There is not a single sin that anyone has or could commit that God will not forgive, whatever it might be, if we will turn to Him. The passages of Scripture, two of the ones that we looked at, condemning sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1, both affirm that. Paul tells the Corinthians, you all lived like this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 does the same thing. In fact, he recounts his own life of sin, and he says, I am the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. And if God can forgive me, which he did, he can forgive you. He can forgive anybody. It's why Jesus came. All sins, including all sexual sins, can be forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Savior, The church is made up of sinners. 
All saved the same way through the grace of God seen in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm, I can dare to say that in this church of this size, we have some of every kind. <laughs> There's not a single sin that probably we don't have some people that have struggled with. And that's what the church is for, to help us struggle against sin and win that battle. This church is made up of sinners all saved the same way. Through the grace of God seen in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, our savior and our salvation call us and move us to live faithfully and obediently with humility and with gratitude. I will hasten, hasten to thee, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, savior, I will come to thee thee. This morning, if you'd like to come to the Savior, come as we stand, sing this great song together.